This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. Dogen said, Provoked by the question, what is right here? The way actualizes and Buddha ancestors emerge. I actually think this must be the, the most powerful, succinct expression of our practice, of our Zen practice. Provoked by the question, what is right here? The way actualizes and Buddha ancestors emerge. How do we actualize the way? We ask the question, what is right here? How do we meet the Buddhas and ancestors? We ask the question, what is right here? So this is a great model for our Zazen. What are we doing and as we sit in the upright position? We're asking the question, what is right here? So like, this is the most important question in Zen, but it's really important not to get hung up on this question. I mean, if we continue, continuously ask the question, well, what is right here? What is right here? What is right here? We wouldn't hear the answer, <laughs> right? Right? We, could, we could obsessively get into it. That's not what Dogen had in mind. What Dogen had in mind is that we should ask this question, what is right here, and then let go of the question. And actually open up to what the universe tells us. After asking in our zazen, we sit in stillness. And Dokken says what we notice at that point is we notice the way manifesting itself, the way it actualizes. We notice the emergence of the Buddha ancestors. So this is what happens in our Zazen when we ask that question. And of course, if we were to get caught up in asking it like a mantra, what is right here, what is right here, what is right here, we wouldn't be able to listen to the answer. At the same time, there is a follow-up question, or there are probably a number of follow-up questions that we might ask. After asking what is right here, and after really opening up to what it is, we will take it in, right? But then the follow-up question is, what am I leaving out? What am I missing? When I open up to what is right here, what am I not seeing? So it's important to ask this question too, because it helps us to recognize the limitations of what we are taking in. And there's always limitations 
what we see and what we hear and what we listen to. No matter how good we are at Zazen, no, no matter how skilled we are at anything, in any instant there's a limitation to what we're taking in. We've visited some museums around the world, and at many of these museums, we've looked at uh, some of Monet's paintings of water lilies. The Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, or the Museum of Modern Art in New York, or the Art Institute here in Chicago, or in Paris, uh, L'Orangerie, or the Musée d'Orsay. Each of these museums, and, and more in the world, have collections of Monet's paintings of water lilies. And the question comes up, why did Monet do painting after painting after painting of water lilies? I'm sure with each painting he asked himself the question, what is right here? And I'm sure when he looked at each painting, when it was finished, I don't know if he ever felt it was finished, but when it was finished, when he looked at e each painting, he, he recognized that the hearing and seeing that he tried to capture in that painting was not actually the whole thing. There was more. Maybe even in trying to capture it in that particular painting, it made him realize, oh, there's, there's this aspect that I didn't capture. I'm sure when he looked at each painting, he said, there's a better way to say this. I'm sure when he looked at each painting, when it was finished, he would say, there's something I can see now that I couldn't see then. That doing the painting clarified what he was leaving out, what was missing. And he knew that there was something that he didn't understand until he had tried to express it. And this is a very important point for our Zen practice too. We never awaken once and for all. The activity of awakening is actually to go beyond awakening. Whatever we see, whatever we say in response to the question, what is right here? We really ask the question, and what am I leaving out? We go beyond that awakening. Invariably, though, when we ask the question, what is right here, we'll come up with an answer. This breath, right? Or the sound of the air conditioner, or whatever it is. And if we're not careful, we'll believe that our answer actually describes what is right here. So to ask, what am I leaving out? What else is there? 
is in a sense a reminder that we should keep looking and keep listening. Dogen said, when the Dharma does not fill your whole body and mind, you think it is already sufficient. When the Dharma fills your body and mind, you understand that something is missing. This is great that Dogen said that, that this person said that. We were talking about this on Thursday. Dogen, you know, went to China um, to study Zen, where it came from in China. But he, he had a pretty good opinion of himself. And when he went to China, actually, when he first went to China, he encountered a Tenzo who clearly knew so much more about Zen than he did. And so maybe that was his first piece of awakening to say, what, what is right here? But then he went to study with the teachers at the Great Mountains in China, and, you know, he engaged them in Dharma combat. And each one of them, he thought, hey, I'm better than this guy. You remember I've talked to you, sometimes he said about these uh, teachers, they have no nostrils, meaning they don't know the first thing about Zen. They don't even breathe <laughs> in their Zen. So, he thought what he had was already sufficient. Right? And then he went to Ankyan Tong and he met uh, Ru Jing. And he, he did his number on Ru Jing. He tried to you know, engage him in some Dharma combat. And Ru Jing just put him down. We don't know exactly what Ru Jing said. It's not recorded. It should have been recorded. <laughs> but who would have recorded it but Dogen? <laughs> but in Kazan's biography of Dogen, it says uh, Ru Jing like, wasn't having any of it. And, uh, and so Dogen realizes this is the person I want to study from. Because he didn't have that sense that what he had was sufficient. He had the sense after his encounter with Ru Jing that something was missing. And he realized that that meant that the Dharma had filled his body and mind. That when he thought he had more Dharma than anybody else, in retrospect he realized that um, something was missing. Dogen says, for example, when you sail out in a boat to the middle of the ocean, where no land is in sight, and you view the four directions, the ocean looks circular, and it doesn't look any other way. And that's really true if you've gone out in the lake or an ocean. It just looks circular. But the ocean is neither round nor does it have directions. Its features are infinite in variety. It is like a palace. It is like a jewel. It only looks circular as far as your eye can see at that time. And Dogen says, 
All things are like this. So when we ask what is right here, it looks whatever, however, however it looks. But that's only as far as we see in this moment right now. And so as we ask what is right here, we see, we also have to then open up more. What am I leaving out? Though there are many features in the dusty world, in the world beyond conditions, you see and understand only what your eye of practice can reach. In order to learn the nature of the myriad things, you must know that although they may look round or square, the other features of oceans and mountains are infinite in variety. Whole worlds are there. It is so not only around you, but also directly beneath your feet or in a drop of water. Whole worlds are there. I like that Dogen says, there are many features in the dusty world and the world beyond conditions. Meaning, there's many features of the relative, but also many features that go beyond the relative in the absolute. But we only see what our eye of practice can reach. And we can't get caught up in how we describe or understand that seeing. I worry sometimes when I talk to you about stuff that you'll think that this understanding is the point. That what I'm trying to convey is a certain kind of understanding of our lives or of Zen. If Zen was any kind of understanding, it would not have survived to this day. Because then, okay, we got it. We write it down, maybe we memorize it. That's it, time to move on. But Zen is not an understanding. Zen is much more fluid than that. When we ask the question right here, what is right here? There's always a new answer. So in our Zazen, we don't try to understand we try to invite the whole world to come forward and affirm itself right there in the wall in front of us. And we witness it. If we're lucky, we could witness it with a certain amount of wonder. Oh, that's what's right here. And seeing this whole, the universal and the particular all together, is one fundamental mind in our practice. We might call this magnanimous mind. In Japanese, the, the phrase is dai shin. Dai means great. Shin is mind or heart. So big mind or magnanimous mind. When we ask what is right here, 
when we invite this to come to us, we make room for it, whatever it is, we open up to it. Maybe it's beautiful. Maybe it's illness. Whatever it is, we open up to us. And that's magnanimous mind. Mind that is willing to take in whatever is here. We're willing to receive this, whatever it is, in the way the ocean is willing to receive a stream. Without resistance, with equanimity. To ask what is right here is to open up to it, and this is magnanimous mind. When we ask what is right here, what we call forth is Daishin. We say Buddha's ancestors emerge. Another way to say that is Daishin comes forward. And when we ask, well, what am I missing? Again, we're calling forward Daishin, magnanimous mind. And as I say this to you, I know that my teacher would say, Daishin is not enough. Because our practice is not only to ask what is right here, but to take care of what is right here. And so taking care of what is right here, taking care of the Dharma that presents itself to us in our Zazen or in our daily lives, is Roshin or parental mind, grandmotherly mind, sometimes it's translated. We might think that taking care of our own practice, you know, really being diligent, is Roshan, taking care of the Dharma. That's really not enough to take care of our own practice. Roshin is that parental mind that goes beyond us. Roshin is the parental mind that takes care of the Dharma, yes, but it takes care of the Dharma so that others can also find it. If our practice is not that, is not going beyond you know, cultivating our practice and helping others cultivate their practice, then our practice is kind of masturbatory. It's not parental, right? It's not procreative, but it's masturbatory. So all the things that we do to take care of the Dharma, that's Roshin, especially if we're taking care of the Dharma for others. So when we put out our cushions, that's Roshin. Really, you know, thoroughly. Whoever's putting out the cushions can only sit on one. And yet, <laughs> we put out all of them, right? Putting out the cushions is not setting up for the main event. Then, I don't 
wonder, no wonder it would be. It wouldn't be Roshin, it wouldn't be Daishin. Putting out the cushions is the main event at that moment when the task in front of us to take care of the Dharma is to put out the cushions. Actually, in Zen, there are only main events. There are no side events. There are no minor events. Great teacher that I studied with who passed away, his name was Yogen, told us a story. It's a great story. He was at Green Gulch. Yeah, Green Gulch is an organic farm, you know, that's a Zen center. And he was working there and he was hoeing the garden, right? He was weeding the garden and he, he was happy in his little practice of pulling the weeds from the garden. And coming down the path were a couple of three people that he knew. And he looked up and he said, oh no, they're going to come and they're going to want to talk to me. And I'm happy in my little practice of weeding the garden. And I don't want to talk, I just want to be here with the little plants. He had gotten caught up in what is right here, and he answered it. Oh, what is right here is the little plants. And all the people coming down, who we knew were going to talk to him, in fact, they did when they got there. Those are distractions. Oh, no, they're going to take me away from my practice. And as they got closer and closer, he said, wait a minute. <laughs> There are no distractions. There's just the next thing. There's just the thing after I've asked the question, what is right here? In which I say, well, what else? This was, this was very uh, insightful of him, very warm of him to share this too, because you know he was talking about this moment when he recognized that his practice was kind of limited. And the real practice was to be available to what was right here. And what was right here, in a moment, was, you know, three people who were chatting and wanted to engage him in some talk about something or other. There might have been some gossip about what was going on, you know, we don't know. But this is a fundamental teaching. Nothing is just a lead-up to something else. Another way of saying that is, practice is awakening. And it's important that we see that, because if we don't recognize that, we will never be satisfied. We will never feel that we're on the right path, unless we realize that this right here is the right path. We should know our cushions, you know, are not only objects that we manipulate, but they are the Buddha Dharma. This is what the universe gives us so that we can embody the Buddhas and ancestors, so that we can embody the life of the universe. 
But in order for these cushions to realize their potential, their true nature, we have to do something. We have to take care of them. We have to manifest Roshin. So we handle them not in any old way, but deliberately, mindfully. You may have noticed that your cushions are far enough apart so that there actually is room to bow during service. If the cushions were six inches closer, six inches farther from the wall, there wouldn't be room. You'd be bowing and running into me at the bowing mat. <laughs> but they're there because of Roshin, because one of the fundamental practices of Buddhism is to manifest the mind that takes care of what's right in front of it. Roshin, Dogen said, is the activity that brings forth the gold of the earth and the cream of the long river. Ma Yu, Zen Master Bao Chu, was fanning himself. And a monk approached and said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent, and there is no place it does not reach. Why then do you fan yourself? Kind of smart aleck. <laughs> the nature of wind is permanent, so why do you have to fan yourself? And Bausha said, although you understand that the nature of wind is permanent, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. The monk asked, what is the meaning of its reaching everywhere? Mayu kept fanning himself. Eventually, the monk, having seen what is right here, bowed deeply. The nature of wind is permanent. So, you know, in the ancient cosmology, wind was one of the four great elements. Everything was made up of wind and fire and earth and water. And the ancient thought of wind as the principle of movement one of the basic forces of the universe. And in fanning, the universal principle of movement animates the individual. We could not, we could not move without this universal force, is the way the ancients thought of it. But in fanning, we also create wind. Yes, there's this universal principle, but it depends, and it, and it animates us, but it also depends on our activity to continue. This is Roshin, this is parental mind. In, in fanning or in our activity, we take care of, we create the universal. When we ask the question, 
what is right here? Buddha ancestors emerge. It's the same. The Buddha ancestors have told us to ask the question, and when we do ask it, they emerge. So we do our activities, our daily activities, with a certain amount of care and a certain amount of presence and a certain amount of mindfulness. That doesn't mean we do them like slowly and religiously, right? <laughs> Sometimes uh, at a monastery you'll see somebody who's carrying out some uh, uh, practical but um, uh, ritual function, like servers who are serving a meal in the in the zendo you know they're carrying pots around and they're going to each monk and bowing and there's a whole ritual that you do and sometimes the server will walk around carrying his pot as if he's aware that what he's enacting is a very important ritual of making offerings to the monks and it's true that's what he's doing but when he acts like that, it's like putting a head on top of his head. It's like, okay, yes, he is carrying out this important ritual, but his being caught up in carrying out this important ritual is not part of the ritual. The ritual is to serve the monks. Make sure everybody gets fed. And you do it in a certain way, but you don't make like a show of it. Then that's going beyond Roshin. You just do it. Sometimes we call that kind of preciousness the stink of Zen. It looks like Zen. One of my colleagues at Tatsahari would say, looks like good. <laughs> Not that it's good necessarily, but it sure looks like good. <laughs> so, so Roshin is just to ask, what does it ask of me? And to do it. So we've talked about two minds, Daishin, magnanimous mind, and Roshin, parental mind. And there's a reciprocity in these minds between receiving and giving. There's, there's receiving and there's caring. And Dogen actually called this Jijuyu, interesting phrase, it means to receive and to use the self. Or another way to translate it is, is to enjoy the self. Interesting. His insight was, you need both of these. You need really asking what is right here, but also involving ourselves in it by saying, how can I take care of it? He said, when we do both, that's what joy is. To do both is to really be fully present and be nurturing what's present. And there's a third mind called Kishin that's joyful mind. And Kishin arises when we have Roshin and Daishin, when we have 
magnanimous mind that will reject nothing, and Roshin that will care for everything. Interesting. So this is the formula for joy. And these three minds, all we have to do is generate two of them, and the third will come up all by itself. Kishin, joyful mind, arises out of recognition that we and the universe are not separate. That taking care of ourselves is taking care of what is right here. Kishin arises out of our love and caring for each other, for the Dharma, for whatever is right here. And so if we think about these things, the questions, what is right here? What am I leaving out? What does it ask of me? This is the formula for a really satisfying life. It's, it's a way to live the question how do I take care of this one precious life? And it's the living of that life that makes it precious. So it's really pretty simple. Three questions. When we ask these questions, the way actualizes, meaning the way is realized right in the asking of those questions, and Buddha ancestors emerge, meaning that when we ask those questions, we are Buddha ancestors, and we are taking care of the Buddha ancestors right in front of us. So allow me to pause here and ask you for your comments or questions. I told you I worried that you might think understanding was the important thing. <laughs> so I'm thinking about the reference you made close to the beginning about Monet. Oh yeah. So. Um, You've seen them all over the place, so you probably know more than I do about it. But he kept coming back to the lilies, but he painted them in very different ways, right? And there are all those theories about what he was thinking about later on in life, and oh. why he was interpreting them differently. Huh. It turned out that he was losing his eyesight. <laughs> and that um, 
that one of the, the amazing things about those late paintings are you look at them and you see kind of the essence of the lily. Yeah. But the sharpness is gone, <laughs> you know, and that. Uh -huh. So I guess I've been thinking as you've been talking about how asking the question and letting it go changes in life. Oh, right? oh good point. Um, the kind of uh, answer I needed in my 20s to formulate for myself to the question, what is here, what is going to be here, mm -hmm. to um, is really changing. It's changing, yeah. sure. And uh, the facility that we bring to the question changes too. It's It's really something to think that Impressionism emerged out of somebody's failing eyesight. <laughs> I don't know if that's really possible, but maybe, maybe it has something to do with it. If Beethoven wasn't going deaf, would he have written the last string quartets uh, to sound the way they did? It's possible that he wouldn't. He probably wouldn't have written in such a rush. Yeah, he probably wouldn't have written in such a rush. That's a good point. Yeah. But right. We, we bring this body-mind to the question, what is right here? And it, the, whatever emerges has to emerge, you know, as a function of this body-mind. So it does change. But also, good reminder, whatever answer I come up with is being limited by the fact that I'm out in the ocean and all I can see is that it's circular, right? So maybe it's my eyesight that's different now than when I was a youth, or maybe it's my mental faculties that are sharper now than they were then, or, you know, whatever. I have more wisdom now than I did then, so I could, whatever it is, you know, right, it's, it's provisional. Whatever we say about what is right here is provisional.